Hello and welcome to Osborne Clark's Future of Financial Services podcast. This series is inspired by our annual Future of Financial Services Week, next taking place in February 2024, where we explore challenges and solutions in this rapidly changing sector. My name is Cyrian Thomas, and I'm a senior knowledge lawyer in the Financial Institutions Group at Osborne Clark. In the last episode of the year, we're looking back at some of the most significant developments that took place in 2023, and also looking ahead to what's coming down the pipeline for 2024. Spoiler alert, it's going to be a busy one. For this conversation, I'm speaking with Paul Anning, Nikki Warden, Paul Harris, and Noli Matamira, partners in Osborne Clark's Financial Institutions Group. Thanks very much for joining us today. Um, and the team is also fresh off a recent win of Advisory Firm of the Year at the AltFi Awards, um, which um, some of you may have seen popping up on your LinkedIn feed. So congratulations for that. So today I'm going to ask each of you to give us the headlines on one development which affected your practice and your clients over the past year and also one to watch in 2024. So I'm going to head to Nolene to kick off and also, maybe more importantly, welcome her to the firm. Great to have you with us, Nolene. Thank you very much, Cyrene, and thank you so much for the very, very warm welcome to Osborne Clark. And it goes without saying that I'm glad to be here. It's been a busy year, as you've said, and of note for me has been the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023, as we know that received royal assent during the summer. And when we look at FISMA 2023, we need to consider it against the backdrop of the Edinburgh reforms, which, if you remember, were a bit of an unexpected development. But when you look at it in the round, it actually complements what we see within um, FISMA 2023. Of note is that FISMA 2023 enables um, a dismantling and a revo revocation of EU law through the Smarter Regulatory Framework, which is one of the, 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 the pillars of FISMA 2023. Alongside that is introduction of a gateway for approval of um, financial promotions by authorised firms. This is something that is currently, I think at, at present firms are going through the, the approval process and the gateway will open formally on the 7th of February 2024. So it's very much a big development in how financial promotions are approved um, in the new world, I guess is how you describe it. And within FISMA 2023, of particular note are changes to the regulatory perimeter. I know my colleague Paul Harris is going to pick up on this, but of note really are um, an, a range of activities that are now coming within the scope of regulation. Of note are the facilitation of stable coins, as well as the regulation of crypto assets. Now, these are all going to be very, very significant changes, but certainly what we are going to see, and this is a little bit of a look forward around FISMA 2023, is a variety of these changes actually coming into force and being implemented and taking effect in 2024. Great. Thanks, Nolene. Sounds like a bit of a landmark piece of legislation that I'm sure we will all be referencing for a long time to come. Um, so would you mind looking ahead with us at um, what's on your radar for 2024? 2024 has a number of things, big ticket items on the radar, but I think of note here is the diversity inclusion initiatives by the FCA and the PRA. Now, this has had a precursor of a combined consultation paper, and more recently, we've got two separate um, consultation papers whose closure is, I think, is in the next fortnight or so. 
And the main things that comes out of those papers are four main developments. Of note is the focus around non-financial misconduct. Now, we've kicked this about over the years. We've debated whether it falls within the scope of fitness and propriety, but the consultation paper now makes it very, very clear that they are going to fall within the scope of regulation. And that's effectively through extending the code of conduct rules by making bullying and harassment um, aspects that speak to an individual not being fit and proper. And they've also extended fit to make a non-financial misconduct a reason for declaring that an individual is not fit and proper. That is useful guidance for firms because there's been a degree of uncertainty around that. Another element of the proposals is around um, firms having a diversity and inclusion strategy. And this is really forcing firms to think very, very carefully about the extent to which they're inclusive and the extent to which they have a clear plan around their core values and their culture and their commitment to diversity and inclusion, as well as being open and inclusive. And the expectation is the strategy is not going to be a one-off, it's an ongoing exercise. You need to keep an eye on it and monitor how you're doing relative to um, the strategy you have set. Alongside that is an introduction of targets. Now, we all know that targets have historically been controversial. There's a lot of debate and a lot of very strong views around it. But certainly the FCA feel that targets are the way forward for improving diversity. And what they've done is required proposing that firms should have diversity targets in relation to management, senior individuals, as well as the broad employee cohort. And finally, of note is potentially the introduction of a further additional regulatory return around DNI. And this is really in two broad categories. There are going to be disclosures that are going to be required that are mandatory around a firm's um, staff complements, age, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation. Those are the mandatory disclosures, and they sit alongside what they're describing as voluntary disclosures, which are socioeconomic disclosures and so on. So when you look at it in the round, I think there are lots of changes coming out um, down the track from a DNI perspective. And really what the FCA is saying is depending on what comes through once the measures are in force, it will certainly play into their perception of a firm's culture, which will influence and drive their supervisory agenda in relation to firms. So this is something that is likely to have far reaching implications for firm supervision in the long term. Got it. I see. Absolutely sounds like one to watch and I expect one that we may well be returning to to talk about a bit more in depth um, on this very podcast. Thank you for that. So I'm going to pick up um, on something that Nolene said there and um, look to Paul Harris to um, tell us a bit about major crypto asset developments over the past year. Thanks, Irene. Yes, um, just picking up uh, on one thing that Nolene mentioned around the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023, flying slightly under the radar somewhat within that legislation uh, were, were two things that brought or will bring or have brought uh, crypto assets within the regulatory regime. So looking back to 2023, the one thing that has been brought in is the crypto assets into the financial promotions regime. And this is around marketing your crypto assets and your crypto assets related services. Now, the key point here for a lot of firms is, are you now able to legally market your services? And there are certain pathways to be able to market your services. For example, if you are already authorised under the Financial Services and Markets Act itself, if you arrange for a third party who is so authorised to approve your financial promotions, if you are actually registered with the FCA under the money laundering regulations crypto assets regime, 
or if you're somehow relying on another exemption within the financial promotions order that already exists. Um, now, this has been the area that the FCA has actually really focused on quite a lot. In the lead up to the regime coming into force on the 8th of October this year, the FCA sent out a number of warnings to firms. And it's important here to note that this covers firms who both operate in the UK and who operate into the UK. So overseas firms were also sent certain warnings. Since the regime has come into force, the FCA has issued 221 warnings to the public around firms who may be marketing their crypto assets outside of the financial promotions regime. So even before we get into what do the conduct of business rules look like if you're trying to communicate a legal uh, financial promotion, the key issue for most firms in this space is can we even market something in the first place? Great, thank you for that. Um, that definitely sounds like a pretty significant step change um, in how um, the UK regime is treating crypto assets. So looking ahead um, to 2024, could you tell us a little bit about what's on the agenda for crypto in the new year? Yes, so um, throughout the course of 2023, we have seen discussion papers and consultation papers being published by both the Treasury and the FCA around future regulation. And I think there are going to be two key changes or developments in 2024 uh, in two different phases. So the first phase is going to be the introduction of a regulatory regime for fiat backed stable coins. Um, and we are expecting subject to parliamentary time to see uh, draft legislation be published in the first part of 2024, with the FCA also providing further detail in terms of more kind of detailed conduct of business rules that they, they're proposing to publish again alongside any developments on stable coins. But of possibly more significance uh, later in 2024, again, subject to parliamentary time, is the bringing in of crypto assets related activities within an authorizations regime. It's going to be brought in within the FUSMA regime as we already have it. So there'll be authorization regulated activities and then conduct of business rules that the FCA will implement. We don't have any details as to timings uh, as yet, but it is clear what the direction of travel is and that this will be a significant change for crypto asset businesses, not only who operate within the UK, but who are located outside of the UK and want to operate into the UK in respect of UK customers. Great, thanks very much for that. It sounds like um, a lot on the horizon um, for crypto asset firms and the pace of change is definitely not letting up going into 2024. So we're going to turn now to Paul Anning. Um, Paul, could you tell us a little bit about what's what's been on your radar um, in terms of payments developments, both that have been important over the past year and which are um, in the pipeline for next year? Thanks, Irene. I'm very happy to share my thoughts around that. The one particular area I wanted to pick up was around open banking. It was a core theme at Money 2020 in Amsterdam, which we all attended along with our international colleagues. And it's been a core feature sort of since then. At Amsterdam, it was about building out the use cases, different geographies picking up open banking and indeed taking it into open finance, but very much picking up the sort of data point. Within the UK, the biggest development in open banking is going to be around a sort of VRPs, variable recurring sort of payments. But the difficulty is and the challenge is 
that payment initiation services were created off the back of a push transaction, uh, not a pull transaction. And so it will be interesting to see how the industry sort of develops the protocols and practices and procedures, as well as the sort of consumer protections around VRPs. We had thought that VRPs and open banking more generally would be, and indeed it is the sort of subject of the PSR's review that the HM Treasury kicked off in quarter one, 2023. It's lost a little momentum, a sort of, but that's been slightly overtaken by events around account closure and termination. There's a new safeguarding consultation expected out very shortly, and HM Treasury sort of consultation at the beginning of January 2024 to look forward to in the new year, reflecting back on all of the PSR's review. But although there's not been any change in the underlying law, there has been a lot of change without that in the sense that the regulator has significantly stepped up its regulatory scrutiny. There's an intensity of supervision that we've noticed over the last few months. It's at the same time raised the gate as the barrier for entry in as becoming authorised, certainly in relation to sort of payments and e-money with that process much stronger. And at the same time has developed a number of different principles around making sure firms do the right thing. And I know Nikki's going to talk about consumer duty shortly. In between, the European Commission has published its own consultation around how to change the framework on which the PSRs were sort of derived, PSD3. Uh, now that's going to create three different frameworks, the PSD3, a payment services regulation and FIDA, the Financial Information Data Act. And there are some really interesting aspects to this. Firstly, it's going to integrate e-money with payment services at both a generic level in the sense of the e-money becoming a payment service, also for prudential requirements and conduct of business. And indeed, that has been foreshadowed in the UK's PSRs as well. It's also going to become a regulation, reinforcing the harmonisation needed across the single market. But in relation to open banking, where I started, it's reinforcing the changes there by sort of changing the phrase explicit consent for permissions and introducing a requirement on banks and others to have a dashboard whereby users can monitor the permissions they've given. So all of that in terms of open banking developments are in sort of really sort of changes over this year, but then looking forward next year. What we really want is the UK's PSR's review to take into account the EU PSD3 development certainty and clarity and the FCA to continue developing its wonderful approach document. Great, thank you very much for that. It will definitely be interesting to see um, how and where the UK and EU payments regimes start to diverge from each other. It sounds like quite a lot of themes in common still um, between the, the two regimes as well. So a lot to keep our eyes on um, going into 2024. So finally, I'm going to turn to Nikki. Um, could you tell us a little bit about a topic which Paul just touched on there, um, which has been keeping many of us very busy um, in 2023 and before, and that's the consumer duty. With, with pleasure, Cyrene. And what's interesting listening to Nolene, Paul and Paul um, is, of course, that there's been a theme running through what they've been saying already, which is that there is no doubt that the FCA is setting higher and clearer standards of consumer protection across financial services. And this consumer duty overlay is aimed very openly at doing just that. It is, it is expected to be a step up in terms of standards for um, 
FS firms. And if you think back to this time last year, um, even though the consumer duty wasn't being implemented until August 2023, already this time last year, firms were supposed to have completed their implementation plans. And we were helping firms who hadn't yet finalized them, who were concerned about it. Um, but we were also talking, talking to firms who were well into their preparations about the distribution chains, their management information, their governance structures, their board champions, their training, um, and their whole governance structures that they were building. Um, and I think what's been really interesting over the last year is, of course, that seeing that light dawning for financial services firms, which is consumer duty implementation was not a one-off project. It is going to run and run. This is a permanent change. This is a step up. This is a much bigger cost for firms in terms of governance, compliance and oversight. And they just have to, I suppose, absorb it. And of course, coming up next year, August 2024, we have implementation for closed books. And we are also seeing clients now already turning their attention to making sure they go through all the same processes for their closed books. Great, thank you. So as 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 you say, it's very much not a one and done. That seems to be the messaging coming out of the FCA and very much is how firms are experiencing it. It's they're very much here to stay. So with that in mind, um, is there something else that you are keeping an eye on um, beyond the consumer duty as we head into 2024? There certainly is. Uh, of course, the consumer duty keeps us very interested. We see things cropping up in the news, um, such as banking, where the consumer duty comes in and, and elderly people not being able to get mortgages, where the consumer duty comes in. But the other thing we've seen a lot of in the news is, of course, buy now, pay later. Uh, many in government over, over several years now have been very concerned that there is a whole swathe of uh, buy now, pay later, which is provided by creditors who are unregulated. And that is where credit is provided at point of sale and it's repayable in 12 payments or fewer, and there is no interest or fees. And the way that these lenders make money is that they charge the retailers um, who tend to get more, uh, more in the basket at checkout because credit is being offered. Um, now, there are two aspects um, to this becoming regulated. Uh, Treasury proposed that it would become regulated uh, and gave actually draft legislation uh, in earlier this year. I think it was February or March of this year. Um, but the feedback was quite strong. Uh, many in the market were very concerned about what was proposed, not least because several different types of product, which are not seen as a problem or any kind of risk. For example, if you're paying for your dental treatment um, over 12 months for free, uh, that might be sucked into regulation as well. But also because um, in terms of the two aspects, one aspect is, yes, firms will have to go through a regulatory gateway and get authorised by the FCA. Firms are absolutely fine with that. They get it. That's no problem. We're going to be authorised by the FCA. Let's do it. But it also means that the full Consumer Credit Act regime, which was largely devised you know, somewhere between 30 and 50 years ago, uh, will apply. Now, the CCA has not kept pace with time. It is out of date. It was not created for a digital society. And many would argue that for a low-risk form of credit, low-risk because, of course, Banapilator tends to be for small amounts of credit and there's no interest or fees, um, it's not actually proportionate to apply a massive amount of regulation information provision, uh, unenforceability of agreements, criminal offences to a low risk form of credit. So there's quite a lot for the Treasury to, to deal with there. They're taking their time. And whereas previously we were told it's going to happen, it's going to happen in 2024. Now we're being told another consultation will be provided by the Treasury when they're ready and law will be passed when parliamentary time allows. Who knows when that will be? 
Thanks, Nikki. It looks like, um, yeah, I've, I I don't envy um, the lawmakers with this to-do list, to be honest. Um, they've got a lot to get through. So I'm sure we will be seeing um, more coverage, um, well, of, of many of these topics, but including buy now, pay later, which always seems to hit the headlines and garners a lot of interest um, from consumer organisations um, and others in the industry. So thank you to everyone um, for bringing those topics to the table. We've got a lot to um, look back on um, as we come to the end of 2023 and obviously also a lot to look forward to um, for the new year. So just finally, um, as we come to the, the, the close of this wrap up episode, I wanted to mention our upcoming Future of Financial Services Week, which is taking place in February 2024. We will be hosting a mix of in-person and online events with great speakers from across the firm and the industry. And we hope to see you there to discuss many of these topics in more depth. Thanks for listening to the Future of Financial Services podcast. You can subscribe for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. We wish you a very, very happy Christmas and we look forward to bringing you new episodes in 2024.